Welcome to the Faith Forward podcast series. Faith Forward is a grassroots network dedicated to bringing together leaders of ministry with children, youth, and families for collaboration, resourcing, and inspiration toward innovative theology and practice. Through this series, we'll learn from creative, forward-thinking leaders who are pushing the boundaries and reimagining what it means to follow Jesus' way of love and justice today. Join us as we instigate a revolution of hope in our world. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of the Faith Forward podcast series. I'm Dave Sinis, and I'm joined today by Cindy Wong-Brandt. Cindy is a force of nature. She's an activist, uh, a parent, and she's an author of the fantastic book, Parenting Forward, How to Raise Children with Justice, Mercy, and Kindness. Um, I'm so glad you're here today, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me. I am a longtime um, fan and supporter of Faith Forward. In fact, when my publisher suggested that my book was going to be titled Parenting Forward, I was like, is that going to be a problem with the Faith Forward people? Because it feels like, you know, I'm kind of copying your title. But Oh, I think it just like, it's part of the movement, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So speaking of, of your book, um, you begin the first chapter uh, of Parenting Forward by mentioning uh, Krista Tippett and how she begins all her interviews by asking her guests um, about the spirituality of their childhood. So I thought that that seemed like a good place for, for us to begin. So can you tell us just a little bit about the spirituality of your childhood? Yeah, thank you. Isn't that such a great question? I love how it defines a person's life that it was so illuminating to understand why a person behaves the way they do and live the life they do because of the spirituality of their childhood. Um, I would divide my childhood into two parts. Um, One is pre-conversion into evangelicalism, which was at the age of 12, um, and one after that. So before that, I was raised in a irreligious family. I grew up in Taiwan. Uh, my parents were, they, they weren't religious, although we did practice some folk religious um, rituals. Um, and I, what was the spirituality of my childhood? I was very um, captivated, like many children are, by magical things mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was yeah. little, little. And um, so, you know, I see glimpses of my spirituality there where I just enjoyed magic and I enjoyed you know, supernatural things and stories and folk tales. But what I also remember is some very um, intense uh, existential uh, questions. For example, I was one of these kids who thought about death a lot, you know, ever since I was, I don't know, for as long as I can remember. I remembered wondering what happens after we die and um, and being terrified, really. And uh, in Taiwan, there's, we have a lot of folk tales about, um, you know, the eternal life potions, um, <laughs> which I was very interested in. And um, so I remember that as well. Um, so there's kind of the, the light side of my spirituality and then this very dark side where I contemplated death quite a bit. Um, and then at the age of 12, my parents sent me to a school for missionary kids. 
um, and it's a school run by missionaries whose purpose in Taiwan was to try to evangelize and convert right. people. And I was a convert. Um, mm -hmm. They shared the gospel with me, which was that, you know, pray to Jesus or pray and accept Jesus into your heart. Otherwise, you know, you will go to hell. And kind of like that sinner's prayer idea. Exactly. And okay. so you imagine a child who is already very afraid of death and afraid of what's going to happen after death, that that was a very easy message to accept. Mm -hmm. um, so I quickly converted at the age of 12. But um, yeah, I was also a very thoughtful child and um, was curious and compelled by the message of of Christianity, of what it means to, to love and to do the right things. And, um, and I was shaped by that system of conservative evangelicalism. And that was kind of the second, my adolescence, uh, my formative development was shaped by that subculture. So mm. that's the spirituality of my childhood. But you've moved to a very different place now. So how did that yes. shift happen? Um, it, I always say it, it happened slowly and all of a sudden at the same time. <laughs> uh, so I eventually, after I graduated high school, I went to a Christian college. I went to seminary, all evangelical institutions. So I remained in that trajectory of my faith tradition. Um, but I slowly just began to dismantle some of the things that I was taught, um, uh, specifically things like sexism um, mm -hmm. and racism. Of course, I am a woman of color, so I embodied uh, some of those identities and I felt personally um, the ways that as I grew up and, and started to live and move about in the world, I realized, uh, you know, I realized that the system was kind of stacked against me, that mm. it was sort of created for people who are not like me. Um, and I also have a brother who is trans. Right. And when this was more than a decade ago that he came out before the whole conversation on trans identity is so popular now, um, we didn't know what was going on, but the resistance that we encountered from the church and from the faith tradition that I grew up in that was supposed to be loving and um, inclusive and accepting just was not. Um, mm -hmm. So all of those things added up to me having a serious side eye <laughs> to mm -hmm. institutional Christianity. Um, so yeah, I like the, the language a lot of people say is deconstructed. Um, I deconstructed my faith. And um, so, so yeah, now I, I am on a much different, in a much different place in my faith journey, but I do enjoy um, exploring this question still about our spirituality um, because I think it's part of being a holy human. Um, so, so yes. And, and obviously that journey has shaped um, what, you, what you're doing now. Uh, it, so in another episode, uh, I spoke with Deneen Akers about her new book, Holy Troublemakers and Unconventional Saints. And of course, you're one of the people featured in the book. Uh, and you're alongside the likes of Rachel Held Evans and Mr. Rogers and St. Francis of Assisi. So those three are in good company with you. And Deneen describes you as a modern day unfundamentalist parenting advocate. 
And I love the way that she puts that. Um, so tell us about the important work that you're involved in. Right. Um, so as I was transitioning or going through this very angsty faith shifting out of my faith tradition, I, I was also parenting um, yeah. two kids. And I realized that uh, a lot of times in parenting, we default back into the patterns we were raised. That's just what we do. That's what we know. And that's what comes to the surface first, mm-hmm. <laughs> our responses to our kids. And and because I was questioning so much of what I was taught as toxic, um, I didn't want to pass that on to my kids, but I didn't know anything else. I didn't know how else to raise children um, with or without faith, how to honor their spirituality and their autonomy in, in every way. Um, and so I started to gather a community of people, which I called raising children unfundamentalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and the word unfundamentalist is meant to uh, say that I, we want to um, raise our children with these values that are open and inclusive instead of hierarchical. Um, but it also it has a double meaning. It also is indicate, an indicator of my own journey from fundamentalist to unfundamentalist. It's also meant to denote my own dismantling of my previous faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just... Uh, really believe, like many other parenting advocates, that it's so much easier to raise children with what's healthy so that they have less to unlearn as they grow up. Um, And it's also one of the best ingredients for creating a better world because when we raise children who are emotionally, spiritually healthy, um, we're, um, yeah, we're building a world that is emotionally and spiritually healthy mm-hmm. um, there's it's just it's so important and so critical and so efficient and effective um, to to yeah to those who desire a better world for yeah for future generations so I feel really honored to be included in the holy troublemakers book and um, really believe that this is a movement that we can only do together um, in conversation with other parents and really not just parents, but anyone, like I said, who wants to create a better world. Right. Right. So I, I'm not a parent, but um, I do a lot of work in children's and youth ministry. And one of the things that I uh, believe deep down in my bones is that we need to move beyond the way that this, I guess, two things, I think, that still are part of our society. And one is the still this Greco-Roman idea of the adult, uh, specifically adult, the adult male as the, the, the kind of the, the pivotal human, the one that, that we are all to emulate. Um, and what that does is it, among other, other groups, it takes children and puts them as a, as a kind of a lesser status, a less than status. And because of that, perceived inferiority they kind of have to cast off the 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 childish things they do right and and we use saint biblical sayings like when paul's saying when i was a child i spoke like a child and but if you read that paul's not actually saying those were bad things it just means now that i'm an adult things are different and i think the other thing that we are really influenced by in the church is still that notion of original sin and the reason i think it influences people without even being aware that it's, that it's happening. Um, 
sometimes because we're buying into it and other times because we're rejecting it. Um, but it's still there uh, as a force that we need to deal with. And both of those mentalities, both of those conceptions of young people see their inherent uh, status because of their, uh, because they're young as something inferior, something they have to move beyond, get rid of. Um, whereas my perception is that, and, and we can look at a lot of the movements happening around the world, spearheaded by young people, both now and in the past, um, there, there's something about young people that is in and of itself, actually all of those things that you talk about in your book, um, inclusion, imagination, care for the environment, all of that stuff, care for others. It's, you know, without being too, you know, romanticizing it too much, I've seen that present in young people. And so sometimes I wonder if, if it's more we adults who work with children either as parents or as leaders, we're the ones really that have to grow down to be like them. We're the ones that, that need to get out of the way and let them flourish in their imagination, in their inclusion, in the, the, their kind of natural inclinations. Um, but it's a very different way that we understand caring for children. Right. Um, I think children uh, are human beings. And mm-hmm. that's something that sounds so right and yet is not the practice of our world. Right. There's a lot of anti-child bias that even I have had to um, become conscious of and dismantle since I started doing this work. Um, I think once you have the eyes to see the ways that the world is anti-child, the more you see it. Um, and children are human beings. And as human beings, they are not sinners and they're not saints. Mm-hmm. Um, they are just like the rest of us, um, flawed, but also worthy of dignity and belonging. Um, and I think that we can learn from each other. I think we should learn from each other. Adults can learn from children and children mm-hmm. can learn from adults. Um, and that's, I think that's ideally the way it should be. But because there is an anti-child bias, I think those of us who are advocates for children, we almost have to err on being stronger in our message and saying adults need to learn from children, mm-hmm. learn from children. I mean, because the default is that children have to learn from us. That's right. the default um, belief that people have. They, when we talk about parenting, they're like, well, how can I teach my children about spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. In my niche, how do I teach my children how to be kind? And I'm constantly responding, you don't need to teach them, you can learn from them and they can learn from you too, yes, but mm-hmm. you can learn from them, especially on a, something like spirituality, mm-hmm. which you know, as I'm describing my childhood, I had a more spiritual childhood before 12 years old than I did after 12 years old when I was older, um, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I, yeah. I hadn't been kind of shamed out of my spirituality with, um, with some fear-based doctrines. So yes, I absolutely believe that we need to be in community with children, learning from them, treating them like human beings that we we're equals. We are equal, um, equal human beings. What you're describing is very much uh, what I'm guilty of because of the default in our society uh, to talk about children learning from adults. My 
my default has become to push the other way. So you offer a helpful corrective to me um, and to a lot of us who are in this work that, that there is this, this both end and, and we are as fully human as they are and they're as fully human as, as we are. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You, you kind of noted not to romanticize this idea. Um, and I think romanticizing is a real problem as well. Um, if you think about a lot of the activists that we are seeing in the news, the youth activists, a lot of times we glorify them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a hard balance because we want to celebrate these voices who are doing great things. Um, you know, people like Malala um, and uh, the, the Parkland teens mm-hmm. um, and Greta uh, Thunberg, right? We're, we're so excited, but sometimes we glorify that. And because we, we say, oh, only these amazing kids uh, do, do this work, right? And, yeah. and in, in that way, we downplay how every kid um, has a part to play and do engage in, in activism, you know, because simply by existing, they are engaged in activism as children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, we often say like, oh, you know, women of color, just by existing, uh, we are... Um, we're resisting yeah. the status quo. So I do think we have to be careful not to glorify children, not to romanticize children, but to see them as fully human with all their faults, but also their, their worth. Um, with this in mind, how has it shaped your, like the practical realities of day-to-day parenting in your life? I, I think I, I try to listen to my kids more. Uh, mm. I think it, it, it just reminds me that I'm not the boss of them. They're the boss of themselves. And so if I want to be a good support to my children, then I have to uh, listen to what is supportive for them, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so that's, that's one thing. And then actually not just listening to what they say, but actually internalizing what they say and allowing what they say to challenge me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so that's, that's been really radical because I think in the past, in my old paradigms, I would have been tempted to hear what they have to say, just kind of as a, um, a supplement to what I actually want to teach them instead of going into the conversations with them and, and, and allowing them to actually teach me to challenge my presuppositions of what I think children um, should do or say or be. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, so one example, I think I might have included this in the book mm-hmm. is the way that we laugh at children. Um, we enjoy delighting in children because of how cute they are and the cute things they say and kind of the outside the box thinking, which, which is delightful and wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but we often laugh, uh, right? And my son is especially sensitive. And well, I don't even like saying this because it makes it seem like some sort of fragility. My son is willing to speak his mind about the Mm -hmm. way he feels. Um, And so he'll tell me, I don't like it when you laugh at the things I say and do, right? and so I think in those moments, it's really important to take that seriously and say, okay, 
you know, he's revealing to me this bias that we have, that we think that children are there to entertain us, that we can just consume their, their shenanigans. Do we really have the right to do that? Would we be okay if you said something funny? Would it be okay if I laughed at you along with several other people standing around you at a party and we just laughed at something that you said? How would that make you feel? And that's always a good measuring stick. Would you do this to another adult human being the way that we treat children? Yes. And that's something I've noticed um, happens in church uh, or in churches and parishes and congregations when it comes to children's stories or children's sermons or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, and, and to look at that as a microcosm of a wider societal problem, um, even my friends and colleagues who are pushing against that. It's a very strong tide to push against. I think of children's sermons, often they're there when they have all the children up there and the pastor speaking to them. It's really for the consumption of the adults. And that's problematic. Even if the leader or the pastor, whoever's offering the, the, the whoever's leading the children's message, um, has a, a deep respect and uh, for the the young people and what they're saying and genuinely is asking questions not not for the entertainment of adults but for the, the sake of the children themselves and if they're modeling that that radical listening that doesn't mean it translates to those around us it doesn't mean it translates to to those in the pews who might still chuckle or laugh um and that says something so i think there needs to be uh, more broad-based education and you know, continually challenging as adults, challenging uh, other adults to consider mm -hmm. this, um, this anti-child bias that, that we all have. And it's okay to admit that we have it. It's okay to even perpetuate it. I, I still perpetuate, I know I do, <laughs> because it's, it's the default for so long and default in society. Um, but I think the posture of being willing to, to listen, to change, and to grow is, is key. So we have a, just a little bit of time left. Um, and I want to hear from you about um, what advice or what wisdom you have to share with, with parents who are trying to move to an unfundamentalist perspective. Um, I've been doing this work for several years now, and I think more and more I'm convinced that the way to become a better parent is really to reparent ourselves, hmm. to heal the inner child within us. And I think a lot of people who are wanting to parent unfundamentalists were raised fundamentalist, which means that we had we suffered religious abuse um, and we suffer religious trauma. Um, and it's such a struggle to parent unfundamentalists because we're so often triggered and have spiritual baggage. Um, and we may know instinctively, oh, it's better to not be hierarchical. Oh, it's better to not teach fear-based doctrines to our kids. But we don't know it in our bodies because we have trauma from mm. um, our past. So I think... <laughs> I think it's really important to, it's kind of the oxygen mask metaphor. We have to take care of ourselves before we can take care of our children. Mm -hmm. um, so I think what I would love to see is 
and I'm trying to create resources for this is to help parents heal and recover from their religious trauma because I think as you heal, you're gonna be able to um, respect your child's spiritual autonomy um, better right. um, and just be a healthier human being that's present and parenting your child. And this is not an easy work and not something I can cover here in this right. interview. But uh, if I may pitch my podcast, Parenting oh, Forward, I um, have a series coming up called Parenting After Religious Trauma. And I'll hopefully Great. be creating more resources uh, for this particular need as well in the future. So stay, stay in contact. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's so needed. Um, you talk about the oxygen mass metaphor. One, one metaphor I often use is like the second language, like, um, you know, our, our, our childhood religiosity that as much as we might move beyond it, we, we still carry it with us as, as almost like a primary language. So although we learn, we move beyond it and learn other ways of being Christian, it's almost like we still speak them with an, uh, an accent of what we grew up with. And there are triggers. I really felt that. Sorry to interrupt. I no, really no, go felt ahead. that when I started to meet people who were, who were raised with healthy spirituality. I was like, you speak a different language than I do. And I want to learn it. But I think that when it comes to religion and spirituality, we have to learn it not just with our beliefs, yeah. We have to learn it with our whole being. And that's something I'm just starting to learn myself because I think there are a lot of spaces right now that are helping you deconstruct beliefs um, and kind of change your mind about doctrines. And that's so important. But I, I think, especially when it comes to parenting your children, something that's so instinctive and so... Um, pervasive because you're living your lives with your children it's not just about going to church right it's yeah. it's just your everyday life and interactions um that there really needs to be healing for your body and mind and soul um to to move to parent forward and i'm so grateful that that you mentioned um your your podcast parenting forward because that's a great way for our listeners to to learn more because we all need to learn more about this. Um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. Like I've said, if you want to learn more about Cindy's work, check out her fantastic podcast, Parenting Forward, and pick up her book, Parenting Forward. Faith Forward, Parenting Forward, it's like a match made in heaven. Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Forward podcast series. If you want to learn more from creative thinkers and innovative leaders, be sure to subscribe or visit faith-forward.net.